You're listening to All The Best. I'm Danny Stewart. Our theme this week is animal friends. And coming up, we've got some wholesome stories about befriending geese in the park and a share house of 20-somethings adopting a pet turkey. But up first, Mel tells us about the suspected murder of her pet fish. So I got this fish for my birthday. He's a beta fish. One of those ones with long, flowing, colourful fins and a cute little bulldog underbite. He's this beautiful apricot colour that fades into white at the end of his fins. I named him Mr Hernandez, after my favourite comic artist. I'd also just moved into a new house with my best friend, and so he became a sort of house spirit. I fed him frozen shrimps every morning, which I'd defrost in the tea strainer. He had a central place in the lounge room, and I'd just sit there watching him swim when I needed a break. But one fateful day, I came home to find that Mr Hernandez wasn't in his tank. So, at first, I assumed it was my cat, Masha. There was a small hole at the back of the tank where the cords for the heater and filter went in, and I thought, she must have got her claws in there and fished him out. I searched everywhere for evidence of his murder, even inspecting the carpet for little apricot scales. Then I gave up. She must have eaten him whole, I thought. I tried not to let it get me down too much. I got on with my day... I distinctly remember going to hang out the washing and doing a few things around the house before deciding to have one more look. I don't know what made me look again, but this time I pulled out the cabinet that the fish tank was standing on and there he was, all tangled up in the cords, his little fins shriveled and his little body all dried up. It was the saddest sight, but I was glad to have found the body because I was still worried that Masha had hidden his remains somewhere gross. But then, to my utter disbelief, I saw his little dried body shudder. Was it possible that he was still alive? He must have been out of the tank for at least three hours by now. Without thinking, I grabbed him and chucked him back into the tank. He sank straight to the bottom and laid there. His fins were useless and his eyes were all clouded over but he was breathing. For the rest of the day, he just sat at the bottom of the tank, looking incredibly sad. He kept floating onto his side. He looked like he was having a bad time, and I hoped that I wasn't prolonging his suffering. The next morning, I got up fully expecting him to be floating dead at the top of the tank. Instead, I was greeted by a perky, active and very hungry Mr Hernandez. His bottom fins had fallen off because they'd dried out so much. But that didn't seem to bother him at all. That was a couple of months ago now. He's still active and healthy and his fins have grown back almost to normal. Now, anyone who kept goldfish as a kid will probably know that they've got a couple of minutes max being out of the tank before their time is up. But this is the amazing thing about beta fish that I only discovered after Mr Hernandez's miraculous recovery. Beta fish belong to a group called labyrinth fish. They have this thing called a labyrinth organ, which is essentially a lung. 
They live in freshwater ponds in Southeast Asia, and sometimes these ponds can be very low in oxygen. When the gills aren't cutting it for them, they just rise up to the surface and gulp some air. This also means that if their pond dries up, they can just flop out onto the land and find a new one. Apparently, they can be out of water for up to six hours if it's not too hot and dry. Some labyrinth fish can even climb trees. So on further inquiry, my little beta fish is nothing special. Pretty typical of his species, really. But I still call him Mr. Hernandez the Miracle Fish. That was our editorial manager, Mel Chun. You're listening to All the Best. I'm Danny Stewart. And this week, we're exploring the special bonds we have with our animal friends. I grew up on Gadigal land in Sydney, and as a kid, I spent heaps of time at Centennial Park, a huge parkland full of all kinds of wildlife. You can spot horses, dogs, eels, ducks, swans, dragonflies, and a whole lot of geese. Very noisy geese who have a reputation as being kind of aggressive at times. As a kid, I was pretty scared of them, and even now, I never get too close. But Tom didn't grow up in the area, and when he recently moved to Sydney and found himself at the park with all the geese, he didn't have the local prejudice that I do, and he wasn't afraid of them. This is the story of how Tom forged an ongoing friendship with the many geese of Centennial Park. I'm not surprised that Tom found them. Well, I mean, he's a strange dude, of course. Well, I thought it was strange at first, but then I realised, oh, it's Tom Denham we're talking about, so it sort of made sense in the end. It's always funny when you move to a new place. You're so used to it, you could hit the reset button as frequently as you like. For me, I had the luxury that I didn't need to do it as often. But when I moved to a new city for the first time, I had to make new routes, ones that would last, and would provide a two-fold relationship. This is the story of meeting some of those friends. And it's definitely not what some would consider normal, but... I'm friends with 50 geese. What you heard there was the aforementioned 50 geese running up towards me to say hello when I arrived at the park. Now, you're probably wondering, geese aren't the friendliest birds. And you're right, it would be easy if I just got a a dog or a cat or a goldfish. But sometimes you just have to stand out. And hell, I don't have all the time in the world to look after another living being that relies on me 24 hours a day. But the geese... The geese provided something new. They were risque in the way that they didn't usually like to be approached. They would hiss at humans if they got too close. If you got close enough, you could see their teeth on their tongue. Enough to scare anyone away, right? Well, not me. If you were well informed enough, you would know that those teeth are used to help cut through the blades of grass that they eat. They look freaky, but... 
Isn't Freaky a bit more woke and hip these days? I was living alone in my apartment in Sydney's inner suburbs. Literally the ideal time to make friends. And it just happened to be one day I noticed these absurd birds. They were exuberant and white with their orange beaks and feet. There was something about them that was just so comic and comedic to me. Why would a god make such a humorous animal? For his own entertainment maybe? Or maybe to appeal my sense of humour? The more I went around the park, the more I studied these geese, watched them, figured out as they go about their day's maraudings. So, where do you go to find out more about geese? I go where any other person goes, and that's the Australian Poultry Farmers Forum. Interesting place if you need some time to kill and you want to learn about how to look after livestock. But it was here I got to understand more about the birds' behaviours, fears, impulses, and most importantly, what they like to eat. So I equipped myself with frozen peas and carrots one day. I walked down to the park and when I tried to approach them and offered them the food that I prepared, they kind of looked at me like I was an idiot and went on their merry way. It was time to whip out the big guns, the Heston's pudding of food for geese if you will. Rolled oats. Soon I discovered that geese would do anything for rolled oats. Rather than parading my own entrance, I quietly sat down the next day and let one goose approach me. He had a hobble and a dodgy eye, and he was the first of the gaggle I was going to name. I decided to call him Wally. I enjoy giving very human names to animals, by the way. This will be a theme. Soon after Wally realised I wasn't a threat, he would come and sit quite close to me, as if I was some paternal figure which is rather comforting for someone who is just figuring out another species' behaviours. And soon, Wally brought along his friend, and that friend brought another friend, and those friends brought their friends, until... I cannot come to the park anymore without being greeted by them. Imagine 50 rather large birds running towards you at high pace, not to destroy you, but just to say hello and have something to say about it. It's quite the adrenaline rush if you need it, I recommend it. And the right amount of social energy I needed at this time in my life as well. I didn't need to know what they were saying. But you can make up stories about what they had to honk on about. It's a busy day at the pond. It wasn't too long until I could identify all the quirks and clicks within a sub-circle of geese. They were very political, 
some geese only sided with other certain geese and would not catch eye to eye with other particular groups. Others had a superiority complex and felt they were obligated to eat all my rolled oats I gave them over any of the others. And the roll call soon grew. Wally, Rocket, Ponkatron, Neo, Zip, Zap, Zog, Mrs. Polly, Miss Molly, Reginald, Archimedes, Vladimir, the list went on. I still haven't named them all yet. But each had their own very distinct and well-rounded personality. They would let you know if they had something to say. Soon it was enough for me to boast about my relationship I had forged with the geese, so I would naturally share it on my social media. I eventually had a highlight reel of Instagram stories just exclusively for the geese. I still see the geese from time to time, but not as regularly as I used to. But at the end of the day, I remember what the geese did for me, and they'll always get a few rolled oats for their goodwill. That story was produced by Tom Denham. You're listening to All the Best. I'm Danny Stewart. All the Best is a great place to learn the art of audio storytelling. Never made a story before? No problem. No experience is required. If you'd like to make a story for the show, get in touch. Visit allthebestradio.com. In our last story, Angela's Sharehouse gets a pet turkey. And a heads up, there's some naughty words in this one. Sitting around with a bunch of friends, just shit talking, and then, boom, you're in a share house, you're like 22, and there's this turkey that's bloody gobbling at every hour of the morning. How many of the absurd ideas you've had with your friends have actually come to fruition? Imagine if we all lived in a bus. <gasps> Imagine if we all got mullets. Yeah, well, be careful what you wish for. The following is a story of when talking rubbish with your mates gets out of hand. The year was 2009, and me and most of my friends were in our second year of uni in Newcastle, New South Wales. Like a lot of students, we spent the bare minimum amount of time on our studies. During the day, we'd lay on the beach for hours. And at night, we'd have the occasional party. We were social creatures. We spent a lot of time together, and as such, we did a lot of stupid things together. There was the time our friend got stuck in a plastic children's toy car. There was the time one of us got a med student friend to put her leg in plaster as practice, then had to go to uni the next day and pretend she'd sprained her ankle. And then there was the time we got a turkey. Jeff the turkey. A legend. The myth. My friend Ben was there on the night the idea of Jeff the turkey was first thrown around. I can't remember how we got to that point, but my friend Andy found a turkey for sale on Gumtree and... Then just the turkey entered our lives. Amongst the ragtag crew of 20-somethings whose lives Jeff entered was my friend Vaughn. Who do you think was the real mastermind? Oh, it would have been Vaughn, for sure. Yeah, 
Americans' humour and cooked up this this joke. Have you spoken to Vaughn recently? No, no, I haven't. Where is she? Hello. Good morning, Vaughn. How is it in London Where? this morning? Um, it's bloody freezing. Both highly intelligent and hilariously funny, Ben and Vaughn were two standout characters in a group of big personalities. Ben earned the nickname Strange Ben for his unique approach to everyday situations, while Vaughn was infamous for her quick wit and superhuman ability to lose three phones and a set of house keys every week. Is that your keys I can hear rattling? Oh yeah, that's my lanyard, sorry. I know I don't need to wear it en route to work, however... It minimises my chance of losing it. Ben remembers Vaughn fondly. Resourceful, hilarious, Vaughn's just on another level. And there's some great stories about Ben. I can't remember what strange thing he did first to get the name Strange Ben. Because he did do some pretty weird things. Like, do you remember at Splendour when he slept in the bath in a suit for five days? Although I saw him the other day when I was in Australia... Um, and he wasn't really that strange. I don't know whether he's grown out of the strangeness. There was only one strange thing he did, which was asked to put on a song, um, and then he put on just, like, sounds of weather. So, like, a sound of, like, a mild to heavy uh, storm. So I don't know. I don't know what's going on there. Wherever the idea of getting a turkey as a pet came from, once the intention was out there, the concept of Jeff the Turkey was an unstoppable force, fated to happen. My friend Andy told the story to his current housemate. I just remember getting on Gumtree and searching for um, turkeys for sale. <laughs> and the only one in New South Wales was about 10 minutes down the road, so yeah, it's a sign. Obviously it was a sign. So Andy and a few friends got in the car and drove off on their mission. It was like... Four of us boys, or like, I don't know, 20-year-old uni students, behind a turkey, it would have been sus as. <laughs> anyway, the guy comes out and he's like, good to see you boys getting into turkeys. This is him down here. And I guess you could say it was love at first sight. Jeff was a healthy young turkey with shiny feathers and a twinkle in his eye. Oh, yeah, this is him. He's, um, he's, just, he's just starting to strut and gobble. Oh, <laughs> He was only like a teenager. That's what he was doing at the stage and strutting was when he like puffed his feathers up and like showed how manly he was. So they were like, fuck yeah, that's perfect. Like all good soon-to-be pet owners, the guys had stopped to get supplies on their way to collect Jeff. Like obviously we wanted to take care of him, so we went to Golo, bought him a little turkey bowl, turkey food bowl, turkey water bowl. And we wanted to get him a collar because I had all these dreams of walking him around town on a lead. So we bought him a kitten collar, which we put on him straight away. The night Jeff arrived, about a dozen of our friends came around to meet him. It was like when someone has a baby and excited family members come to see the new arrival and offer their best wishes. Although Jeff wasn't quite sure what to make of things. He sat between two shrubs in the garden, eyeing everyone warily. But as the days went on, Jeff settled into his new environment, strutting around the backyard and getting to know his new housemates. He grew comfortable down in the courtyard. We kept his feet up, clean water all the time. I grew quite a bond with Jeff. <laughs> Andy had a soft spot for Jeff and became like his big brother, walking around the backyard with him tucked under one arm and teaching him tricks. 
But not everyone liked Jeff. The fifth housemate, Toast, was unlucky enough to have the only room that backed onto the courtyard. Hello, my name is Toast. Jeff and I had a uh, love-hate relationship. Each morning around 5am, Jeff would start gobbling. Gobble, gobble, gobble. Was my morning alarm. 30, 6.30, 4.30, it didn't matter to Jeff. Monday to Sunday. I did a lot for Jeff. I fed him, watered him, kept him safe, cleaned his shelter. Whenever I'd go to feed Jeff, he would always attack me. He was aggressive in nature and had some kind of vendetta against me. Why? I don't know. All I showed him was love and compassion. Jeff was an asshole of a turkey. It was only a matter of time before Jeff's incessant gobbling drew unwanted, but totally warranted attention from the surrounding residents. Andy was at home studying when a man from the RSPCA knocked on the door and asked to see the turkey in the backyard. So I took him down the back and like, here, this is Jeff. And like, Jeff came come running up like he did before the bond. He was quite tame by then. Hey, Jeff gave him a pat. And like the RSPCA guy was like, pretty impressed by that and like he watch his tricks because we taught him some tricks so like he used to go and stand over the turkey and he'd run backwards between your legs that was the only trick i taught him so but yeah the guy was like oh yeah no this is pretty good he's like very healthy looking he's um got his clean water and his food and then somebody must have told the landlord still i think that landlord had larger problems than the turkey with those tenants andy received a voicemail from the real estate The property manager was clearly trying her hardest not to laugh as she informed him that the housing of a turkey in the courtyard was in direct contravention to the rules set out in their lease agreement on the keeping of pets. Jeff had to go. So we had to get rid of Jeff. Like, we know where Jeff would be perfect. The uni, it's bushland... He'll be a free turkey. He can hang out oh. with the bush turkeys. We just set him free in the uni, like, secretly knowing someone's going to find him. He's pretty tame. He'll go up to the nearest person and yeah. be like... He'll hear clink, clink of beer bottles. <laughs> yeah, clink of beer bottles. <laughs> so Jeff had an unexpected tree change. While back in the city, the boys were left empty nesters. We thought about Jeff a lot in the weeks after his release, hypothesising about what he was up to and where in the pecking order of the uni's bush turkey empire he'd ended up. But I don't think any of us held high hopes of ever seeing Jeff again. But just as fate had brought Jeff into our lives, so fate would bring him back again in a way that none of us saw coming. Months went by and then, like, autonomy day came around, which is a day where you just get drunk really early in the morning and I'm like you know what I'm gonna go I reckon I know where Jeff might be because there was a farm on the uni where they had must be like an ag farm or something bad chickens and sheep and stuff so Andy headed to the agricultural yard and somehow managed to scale the barbed wire fence and drop down into the compound somehow I got over it because I saw the turkey I'm like that's fucking Jeff and I went in and then like I went up and I'm like I know how I know if it's Jeff or not so I stood over him and he ran backwards through <laughs> No word of a lie, he ran backwards through my legs. I'm like, fuck me, Dad, it's you, Jeff. Andy scooped up his long-lost pal, Jeff, 
somehow managed to jump back over the fence and victoriously took him back to his friend's house down the road. Got him, grabbed him. I'll put you in the backyard for tonight, Jeff, while I go to sleep. See you in the morning. Wake up in the morning. No, Jeff. No, Jeff. In his excitement, Andy had forgotten to shut the gate and Jeff escaped into the night, never to be seen again. Jeff was gone and that was the last we ever saw of Jeff. But he lived a pretty good life. He lived a really good life whilst in the uni farm, I imagine. And this has long been accepted as the sad and somewhat anticlimactic ending to their tale of friendship. We'd always said that Andy should have left Jeff where he'd found him and that he'd probably loved his time at the uni farm area hanging out with the sheep. But could there be a bit more to the tale? A silver lining to the unsolicited kidnapping we'd always told Andy he was guilty of. So I just sat down to Google Newcastle University, New South Wales Agricultural Area, and nothing actually came up, um, which I thought was strange because we'd sort of always just thrown around the idea that it was an agricultural area. I mean, Andy said there were sheep there. Um, It looks like maybe it wasn't. We've got a lot of searches coming up here. Animal Services Unit, University of Newcastle, Research Advantage. Andy, this story's taken quite the twist. You may have actually rescued Jeff from a life of being a lab turkey. Good job, buddy. Ben, where do you think Jeff is now? That story was produced by Angela Moran. Jordan Bennell and Alison Chan were the supervising producers. All the Best would like to acknowledge the traditional owners of the lands on which we make these stories and pay our respects to Elders past and present. All the Best is made at FBI Radio on Gadigal land in association with SIN and 3RRR on Wurundjeri, Woiwurrung and Boonwurrung lands and 8CCC on Arunda and Warramungu lands. The All the Best editorial manager is Mel Chun. Emma Pham is our social media producer and Lydia Yosefova is our community and events coordinator. This episode was mixed and compiled by Thomas Phillips. Shiningberg composed our theme music and Annie Hamilton designed the artwork. We're heard across Australia on the Community Radio Network and we're made possible by the Community Broadcasting Foundation. You can find out more at cbf.org.au. You can find more episodes by searching for All the Best wherever you get your podcasts. I'm Danny Stewart. Thanks for listening.